welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, we talk about the rise in Threadripper 2, and could it dethrone Intel as your next high-end desktop build? Let's find out. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. Darren, last month, we talked a lot about building a budget system using the PC Gamer model. That's right, we did, and it was pleasantly a solid build. It was a solid build. Unfortunately, it seemed a little weak for me. (laughs) Not enough power. Not enough power. I mean, I kept trying to add more power to that build, but it kept throwing the budget off. And since it's a budget build, you kind of have to look at budget before performance. You know, it's just the way it works. Well, we did set a pretty good price point, and I think we built a pretty good PC, or at least they did, and we agreed with it. Exactly. But that got me thinking, what about the other side of things? You know, the performance side of things. Are you talking about those ridiculous maximum PC builds? No, no. I'm talking about like, well, in a way, kind of real world sort of builds. So, okay. I think I got this. You want more power, but you want realistic power. Yes. So you must be talking about like the new Intel. There's no new Intel. There's always a new Intel. Well... There might be a new Intel, but there's not a new Intel right now. Now, that's a good point. As of this podcast recording, there is pre-sales that have begun for the second generation AMD Ryzen Threadripper. Threadripper! And this is something we talked about after Computex because I saw a bunch of X399 motherboards dedicated to the second generation of Threadripper processors. I think we should point out that even when we were in CES, it seemed like there was a large amount of performance and extreme performance Ryzen processors. In fact, that seemed to be the majority of the new product. Well, AMD has been hitting the market hard in a way. (laughs) They're displaying their new Ryzen core systems that allow you to have a lot of multi-core performance in a very inexpensive package. Okay, that sounds good, but you don't seem sold on it. I don't seem sold because I am, I don't know, an AMD fanboy, so to speak. Oh, fair enough. I mean, for the time that I did review a Ryzen system, I compared it against some of the Intel ones that I had already benchmarked, and they really compared about the Core i5 range. Even though you had more threads, the processor itself was a bit slower. Okay, so I think I remember this. We talked about the advantages of more cores versus the advantages of more speed. And it depends on what it is you're doing. If you are doing like a workstation sort of thing where you have a lot of virtualization. Okay, yeah. So you're trying to run some uh, basic virtual servers. Yeah, virtual servers on a machine. You want to dedicate physical processor threads to those servers so that you can get the maximized performance. It allows you to run like 10 or so machines on one particular server, but you have to have a lot of threads, which is where an Intel machine with two processors comes in handy, or you can get one machine using an AMD something that has a lot of cores within that CPU. So we'll link back to the previous podcast so you can check out our more in-depth discussion. But I think I can summarize it by saying we determined that if you're performance-oriented or running single-core threads or dual-core threads, which would be most of what the world is running... Mm -hmm. The Intel was still king. Maybe is still king. But if you were multitasking... Yeah, multitasking. Like if you're encoding video, more cores is better. It's going to go faster. I think the good news is that there are now multi-core processors on both sides of the fence. Maybe more software will scale, which will give us the advantage that we've been looking for since the dual cores and hyper-threading first came out. 
That's been a long time ago, hasn't it? <laughs> it really has. It has. So let's talk about the advantages of second generation Threadripper because they have to have changed something. The biggest change was the fact that we now have twice as many cores. Well, okay. Second generation, twice as big. That's a good sign. We are familiar with the overclocker DeBauer. Yes. German guy. He's kind of, he's become a card nerd, which is actually kind of cool. But he does some amazing things with CPUs, something that people don't normally do. Like he created a delidding tool for the Intel CPUs. Very cool. Well, he also created a way to delid a Threadripper. Now that's a big processor though. So delidding it, that's got to be a pretty impressive project. It is. And it compounds itself because the Threadripper and Ryzen systems are soldered. So before, what was it? Before Ivy Bridge, the Sandy Bridge CPUs, the Intel ones, right. they were soldered. And that's why they had such good thermals. The, the CPU core itself had a physical metal connection with the heat spreader. Oh, it's a direct connection. That totally makes sense. Yeah. And that's the way that it was with Pentium 4. Right. So when Ivy Bridge came out, Intel was all about trying to save the environment and they decided saving a little bit of like iridium and solder paste was the best way to do it. I'm sure to save the environment. Yeah. Yeah. Or a few dollars or something like that. But with the Ivy Bridge and anything after that, they used a TIM or a thermal compound in between the heat spreader and the CPU, which is what you get with any sort of video card you buy. Right. You know, there's no physical connection there, but it's also a heat sink that you just add to it. In this case, you have the heat spreader that's supposed to protect the PCB or the, um, I forget what it's called, but basically the, the layer that all the contact pads sit on for your CPU that gives it rigidity and some strength. But if there's no good connection between the CPU core and the heat spreader, you have about a 20 to 30 degree delta between what is being dissipated by your heatsink and what is being reported at the core itself. Okay, so great description, but bring me back to Earth. Why would you want to do that to a Ryzen? You wouldn't, because Ryzen is actually a pretty darn hot system. So AMD has not done the thermal paste sort of thing. They actually soldered everything together. And well, coming back to DeBauer, he figured out how to heat up the heat spreader on a Threadripper and separate it from the substrate, which is the part that the silicon sits on. And by doing so, he was able to expose that on the Threadripper package, you have a CPU core. Think of it as a, a dice. Okay. Okay. And we're going to flip to the, the number four. So number oh, four is all up. Right. So in the upper left is a CPU core. In the upper right is a blank. And in the lower right is a CPU core, and the lower left is a blank. Interesting. Not a blank as in like fill in the blanks, but a blank as in there's some substrate there, but it's not a CPU core. Wow, okay, so they're opposite corners. They're opposite corners, yes. And they did that to balance out thermal dissipation into the heat spreader, but also as a prelude to Ryzen 2. Or Threadripper 2 in this case. Ah, so they can fill in the other two corners. Yes, and that is what the second generation Threadripper is, is it fills in those other two corners. So now we have a 32-core, 64-thread Threadripper. That's a lot of threads. That's a lot of threads. So how does that affect performance, though? Because we did not see really solid high-end performance, at least from an enthusiast standpoint from the previous generation. 
No, I mean, if we go to Hardware Bot real quick, we can see that the average overclock of a 1950X, which is the high-end Threadripper, is 4 gigahertz. And if we go to Newegg, this is a 3.4 gigahertz CPU. That's not that impressive an overclock, really. No, it's not. And part of that is because you have, when you're overclocking, you have to balance the speed across all the cores. And if we remember back to like KB Lake, for instance, there was core one always ran faster than all the other cores. So you have this one golden core that would be wrapping up to five gigahertz or whatever. And all the other ones would be filling in at like 4.5, 4.3. But I get that because your primary should be faster and it's just taking the lower priority tasks to the slower cores. So that makes sense to me. Well, when you're overclocking for hardware bot, you want to get the most speed as possible. Well, of course. And a lot of times to do so, you equalize the frequency across all those cores. So you're playing the average. Yeah, you are playing the average. And at this point, the average is going to be 4 gigahertz because the slowest cores, which are the low quality cores in the CPU, cannot ramp up as fast as the primary cores. Right. It just kind of levels out that way. And unfortunately, when you try to push it up faster than that, you have frequency synchronization between the caches and the secondary cores. And when the benchmark is running like Cinebench or something like that, it's multi-threading. So you have to try to get all the cores to be in sync. Otherwise, it gets slower. Okay. So I'm looking at this 1950X and I see that it is prominently displaying that it's unlocked for overclocking. Yep. All the Threadrippers are unlocked so you can change the multiplier frequency. So that must good. be the X, right? Threadripper X. I'm going to assume so. I mean, even the Ryzen's were unlocked, assuming that you had them on the right chipset. So you had to have them on the X chipset, otherwise you didn't get the ability to unlock the um, CPU cores. So now you mentioned that these are coming out on motherboards that are using, I think it was the X399 chipset. Um, yeah, 399. So the X399 chipset is used for the current Threadripper and for the second generation. Right. And at Computex, I've seen the new generation of X399s that had enhanced VRMs to handle more power. So is it a bigger processor because it uses all four? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're basically taking a Threadripper 1 and adding another Threadripper 1 to it. Oh, yeah. And if we go and I'm going to try to find what the TDP is of the original Threadripper here. Maybe I can find it. Oh, you know that they tend to hide that away. They do. They do. Oh, here it is. Oh. TDP of 180 watts. So let's refresh the folks that are just tuning in. TDP is thermal design power, which loosely translates to how much power it's going to dissipate. Not necessarily how much power it consumes, but how much heat output it will put out at normal. And that's important because that's how you determine what kind of cooling that you need. And if you look at some of my heatsink reviews, I talk about the TDP. And not necessarily how fast a heatsink can dissipate that power, but how much power that heatsink can handle. So 180 watts, that seems like a lot. I know that AMD has kind of a reputation for being a little power hungry in their video cards. And that just seems like a lot for the processors, too. So what's what's a normal TDP? I mean, what are we seeing in Intel, for example? Where do you think we should start? Well, let's talk about uh, what we've got in the lab. What have we been overclocking lately? So what are you running? What am I running? What are you running? 
Oh, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm running an old Ivy Bridge in my main machine. Core i7-4930K. So to be fair, this is your daily workhorse and not a competitive overclocking machine. Correct. But how does it compare? Because 140, yeah, I mean, that doesn't sound terrible. Well, no, this is a 130-watt TDP CPU. Okay. And we get six cores and hyper-threading. This is on the Ivy Bridge architecture, so it's not as efficient as some of the newer ones. But it was also a Series X, so it's an LGA 2011, so it's going to run a bit hotter just because it has to power more memory cores, or not memory cores, but more memory channels, and also the six cores plus hyper-threading. But I think this is a great comparison to start with because this is a default clock 3.4 gigahertz processor also. Right. So you must have overclocked that thing. So what kind of scores do you get on the high end? It's got to be better than that 4K. I want to say I was doing 4.5 on phase, but don't quote me on that. I would have to look it up. Okay, but that's a good start. So let's talk about some of the other processors. I feel like we can't just one-to-one. That's not fair. No. Well, here, let's look at the podcast machine. This is something we talked about building, and it was out of spare parts for the most part. But I'm running a 4770K Haswell quad-core in the podcast machine. So this is a 3.5, so on paper, slightly faster. Slightly faster, yes. And it has a TDP of 84 watts. Much lower. Much lower. Really efficient. I can see why that's in the podcast machine. And with the uh, Haswell architecture, it ran a lot cooler. But we also had the the Tim issue, so we had to actually do the deleting thing, and then you know that pulls the temperature down a little bit more. Okay. So let's see. Uh, oh, an ancient machine. This is, I want to say I run this in one of my dev file servers in the lab, but it's a Core i7-3770K Ivy Bridge. Oh, now that's actually one of my favorite processors. 3.5 up front, almost four without even breathing hard. And so the TDP on this one, contrasted with the Ivy Bridge that I'm running in my main machine, right, is 77 watts. Wow, still super low. Well, it's, yeah, 77 watts versus 130 watts, that is basically twice the yeah. power. So the addition of the extra memory channels and the extra cores and what it takes to requ- uh, to run all those cores required all that extra heat and power. So let's go to, say... Ooh, something crazy high-end. Yeah, that ought to blow it out of the water. Yeah, so the Threadripper 2, price-wise, which we haven't talked about yet... Oh, yeah. Is pretty close to the Core i7-7980XE Skylake. Now, that's an impressive machine, but it's only 18 cores. Yeah, it's 18 cores. And hyper-threading, right? Yeah, 18 cores with hyper-threading. And check out the clock. It's only 2.6 gigahertz. Oh, that doesn't seem right. I know that's the hot dog there. So 2.6 seems slow in comparison to the other processors we talked about. Yeah, but remember, with the more cores that you add the quality of those cores has to be a lot higher to run higher clock speeds. So in this case, to have 18-core CPU on this X-series processor, you have to lower the clock speed down to get it to run. So this one's actually shooting up there, 165 watts. So we're finally up over it. Mm-hmm. but And we're equal in price point. So 165 versus 140 is it's not too far off the bat. No, but we also have... 18 cores versus six cores, um, and it's a lower clock speed. And if you know, if we go to some of my heatsink reviews, you can directly relate the TDP and the voltage input and the frequency to figure out what the resultant 
TDP would be if you overclock or underclock. So the fact that this one's 165, if we ran it at 3.5 gigahertz, it would probably be over 300 watts. Wow. So that's just kind of the math that determines what the power consumption and output would be on these CPUs. So I'm still wondering why I wouldn't get that i9 for the price because that's a spendy thing. So let's let's talk about Threadripper 2. Threadripper so, 2. All right. So, so you went there with price point. So we should point out, as always, that prices are subject to when the podcast was recorded. Right. And historically, AMD processors are pretty expensive, and then they tend to drop much faster than Intel processors. Yeah, they have this introductory price to give you a bit of sticker shock, and then a couple months later, they get down to what they normally sell at. I feel like there's a marketing angle to that, too. One, you punish the early adapters, my favorite thing to complain about, and two, that it gives you an artificially inflated comparison against that Intel processor. So when the price drops, you have an increase in your ROI or your perceived value, right? So this is a this is a marketing 101. Yeah, pretty much. So going to the press release that I posted at Hardware Asylum. Links in the show notes, of course. Of course. We have four Threadripper 2 CPUs that are being launched okay. or, or released. The first one is the AMD Ryzen Threadripper 2990 WX. Ooh, now there's a W in front of the X. Yeah. World Extreme or something. Yeah, so this is a 32-core, 64-thread, which is what we talked about with the four pads being enabled on this CPU. Right. It has the, uh, let's see, 4.2 boost frequency of with a 3.0 base frequency. That seems competitive. With a 250-watt TDP. Okay, and that's a little ouchy, and that's probably the stock TDP. So you jump that 4.2, you're going to probably have a nice increase. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, but it's not going to be running at that speed all the time, just whenever it spikes. So 250 watts, though. That's pretty hot. That is pretty hot. So let's digress a little bit. If we are recommending, which we do, if you go back to our previous podcast, mm -hmm. around an 800-850 watt sweet spot for the modern PC, and that's uh, the power supply. Yep. So that's assuming 100 or so less TDP, give or take, yeah, or so, more. Yeah. Well, for instance, the PC Gamer suggested, uh, what was it, 450 watt, right? Yeah. Which, which we thought was way too not enough. Yeah, you want to build some future growth in there. And with your power supply, as I'm so fond of mentioning, and I will again, it's the foundation your whole PC is based on. So you don't want to skimp. You want to have enough power to handle it even at peak. Right. So that one's 450 watts, and I'm going to say the TDP on that CPU was probably around 40. Yeah? Without me looking it up. Oh, yeah. It's 10%, though. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Right. And then they didn't have a video card that really drew all that much power. Yeah, that was the real weak spot in that build, if I remember correctly. If you're going to spend $1,800 on a 2990WX, that's the price, by the way. Yeah, that's a car. Well, all right. A, a beater, maybe. A beater car. You're not going to be putting a, a 1060 in this thing. No, that would be crazy. That'd be crazy dumb. At that point, you're probably going to put a 1080, 1080 tie, maybe two of them. You know, if you're buying Threadripper, maybe you're going to do the 580Xs and then like shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> doesn't really that's matter. That's another podcast right there. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. The, the point is for that kind of a CPU with that kind of a draw, you're going to have to have at least a 650 just to run the CPU 
and the rest of the base system. And I'm not convinced that that's given you much leeway. I think no. I'd be recommending maybe an 850 plus. And it, adding the 1050 or the 1080 tie, you know, you're in the thousand watt CPU or not CPU, but PSU land. Yeah, so you're going to want to go at least 1,200 to have that nice buffer. Mm -hmm. That's a spendy power supply, too. I mean, we're starting to chunk on the bucks. Yes, exactly. But you need to have that to run this kind of a system and make it stable. That's why the uh, motherboards that I saw at Computex had, you know, 20 power phases in them because they needed to be able to equalize the CPU power going to the CPU. So we're talking about dissipating 250 watts, which means that you're, well, I noticed that they didn't come with a power supply, or I'm sorry, I'm, they didn't come with a heat sink, which... No. We can is, talk about cooling a little bit later, obviously. But. Yeah, so, I mean, you're chunking together a pretty, yeah, I'm starting to nickel and dime this in my head into a pretty expensive build, and, and my brain wants to say, but you could build an amazing Intel box, so what are you gaining? Um... Lots of stuff. Let's let's hear it. Well, let's hear it. Well, how about we go through the other CPUs first? All right, let's do because because if that's the high end, uh, you know me, I am a little bit of a cheapskate, a budget gamer, if you will. Right. So bring it down for me. Bringing it down. So we have the AMD Threadripper twenty nine seventy WX. This one is similar to the nine ninety WX, except that we're getting twenty four cores and forty eight threads. Wild extreme, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure how what that is. Okay, so you dropped not a huge amount, though. It's about a third. You're dropping, what, eight cores? Yeah. Okay, so keep these magical numbers in your head, right? Eight. Eight. All right, so then we are running 4.2, 3.0 frequency, so it's so the, the same. same. And it's also a 250-watt TDP. So it sounds to me like it's just a lower bend, same core, possibly. Yeah, they probably fused off some of the uh, cores in the in the package before they buttoned it all up. Oh. So, so it's basically, it's a failed 29WX. So you could maybe get crazy with, you know, a lead pencil or something. Well, you know, never mind. Actually, you know, that brings up an interesting point. There was a tri-core AMD CPU. Remember these back in the day? Yes. That actually was a quad core. And with a BIOS update, you could unlock those extra cores. Yeah, that was a hot deal while it lasted. Yeah. I wonder if you could do that with these. Interesting. Okay, but moving on. So Moving on. So 24 and 48, but yeah. otherwise the same. Now, what's this puppy run? This one's uh, $1,300. Okay. And I, it's not available until October sometime. Oh, uh, yeah. So they're going to make you wait if you want to save some money. Yep. Okay. Uh, next down the list, we had the AMD Threadripper 2950X. No W. No W. And this is a 16 slash 32, which is ironically the same as the original Threadripper. So 50% of the 2990 WX. Yeah. Okay. And, it, and this one's only 180 watt TDP. So now we're bound to the original Threadripper package. So we have the two cores. They're probably just updated Ryzen cores. But it's faster. Right there in the chart. Yeah, it's 4.4 by 3.5. So, yes, it's faster because we have not as many cores to deal with. Okay. And so it's higher quality stuff. And the price point? Price point is going to be $900. $900. So all... Which is like 100 more than what you can buy a standard Threadripper for right now, the yeah. 1950s. And ironically, almost it was half the processor, roughly, mm -hmm. and almost half the price. Not, yeah. Not quite. Pretty crazy. And then, of course, if you're on the ultra budget, right? We're talking about the AMD Ryzen 29, what was that, a 20K? 2920. 2920 with 12 core, 
12 cores, 24 threads, run at 4.3 gigahertz with a 3.5 gigahertz base, 180 watt TDP for $650 available in October. Yeah, okay, so they make you wait till October. So that's half the 2970s. So I'm seeing two 50% processors. Yeah, so we see two fully yeah, fully realized Threadrippers, and then we have the cut-down versions. But budget-wise, that, that's a pretty impressive drop from 1799 to 650 And, of course, the, the price of the original Threadrippers versus this one is about the same. They're about $100 difference in both of the different factions. So if you're into the whole Threadripper thing and you want to experiment with some of the X399 gaming boards that are coming out from MSI and Gigabyte and whatnot... You can get this $700 Threadripper at the low end, take full advantage of it, and then later on, if you feel the need to spend almost $2,000 on a CPU, you can totally upgrade. Now, I know that the 2990WX has won some world records and some specific benchmarks because you put it in your article. I did? Yeah, Cinebench, for example. Oh, yeah, so they're doing, as part of the press release, they were talking about some of the performance advantages of using Threadripper 2. So multi-core, of course. Yeah, so they were talking about uh, Cinebench, and they had, what was it, 5.1 gigahertz on liquid nitrogen, which is actually pretty good. That's a lot better than what the original Threadripper did on liquid nitrogen. So they've increased the efficiency, at least with going cold. And it crushed the 7980XE, at least in the single socket record on Cinebench. Yeah, by about... 2,000 points. But we also have to consider that we're running 64 threads versus the 70, was it the XE is, what is that, uh, 2 of 18. Okay, so big difference there. Not as impressive when you think about it like that. So we have twice as many cores. Yeah, it's going to beat it because Cinebrench is a multi-threaded benchmark. That's the way that it works. It has uh, one of those little squares just per core or per thread in the CPU. Sure, all right. So we're kind of cherry-picking our our hardware versus our overclock the processor not too bad although i'm a little scared away by the price i'm already anticipating price drop but you did kind of mention in passing and i want to come back to it uh when we talked about the ces coverage and just now again that you had seen some pretty cool motherboards in fact if i remember correctly it started to get you thinking about whether you wanted to do a threadripper build which is kind of an irregularity, as you mentioned before, as an Intel fanboy. I was a little shocked. Yeah. So the motherboards must be quite intriguing. They are. With the original Threadripper as the release, it was designed as a workstation sort of server replacement CPU. That was its target market. And that makes sense because of the whole multi-core scaling. And also, looking on the Intel side of things, the X-series, you know, LGA 2011s, that was also designed for high-end desktop workstation server markets it wasn't designed for you know enthusiasts like us so to speak but now that threadripper 2 is coming out and the the technology is getting more mature the power handling is a little bit better motherboard manufacturers are starting to take advantage and say hey well we have the high-end desktop for intel let's do high-end desktop for threadripper yeah so we have gaming boards from msi that i saw I saw a Super Halo product from Gigabyte, which was the extreme. And it uh, had some amazing heat sinks and LED lights and, and backplate on the thing. Nice. You know, it was the, the full realization of a motherboard. With the um, Gigabyte products, they like to create their halos, right? 
some of them were the SOCs where they made like 10 of them and they only sent them out to overclockers. They also had the, what was it? The ultra durable nines. Nice. I remember the quad Royale. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The super halo boards where they made like a hundred of them and sold them out almost immediately all to get people to buy their products, but you had to get one step down. So you get like the, the nine version or not the nine, but the seven version or the six version or whatever one you could afford. The idea is that you didn't get all of the fancy heat sinks and the lights, but you got all the different performance advantages and the same VRM and stuff like that. So they're really hitting this Threadripper segment pretty hard because it's new. You know, in the past we had the high-end desktop on the Intel side of things and it got a little stale because the processors never really did much in terms of performance over the previous generation. You might get uh, DDR4 support in one and DDR3 support in the other, or you might get more PCI Express lanes, or in our latest case with the X99, you buy the low-end version and then you get half the PCI Express, so then you can't run SLI anymore. Yeah, that's something to say. Yeah, but with the Threadripper stuff, we are getting 64 lanes of PCI Express off the CPU, so it doesn't matter which one you pick, you're going to get a lot of PCI Express bandwidth. So let's talk about this from the standpoint of a build. And we've kind of talked a little bit about what you require, but if you were building a Threadripper build, what would you be looking at? Rough out a build for me so I can I can visualize uh, what would be, I don't know, the typical hardware asylum build for a Threadripper 2. Oh, well, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to do cost is no option because I don't believe that, that that's realistic. Sure. So let's talk about a realistic build, something you'd use as a workhorse and a gamer. I would probably target the 2970WX okay. as, as the the median. I would be picking that one. That's not the, the high end, the 32 core, but you're getting 24 cores. Yeah. And you you're get, shaving 500 bucks there. It's still the 250 watt TDP CPU. So you're going to have to have a massive cooling solution. And one of my articles about water cooling, I talked about you know, 120 millimeter radiator being able to dissipate around 250 watts. Okay. So obviously you want to give yourself a little bit of a buffer so that the fan isn't running super hot. So if I did this, I'd be doing a DIY style loop with a 280 or a um, 240. Sorry, I'm thinking of the numbers here. Mm-hmm. 280, which is a, a dual 140 or a dual 120 radiator. So you're looking at a little bit bigger case, which makes sense. A little bit larger heat sink, a little bit larger radiator, and a little more room to breathe. And of course, if you're going to water cool video cards, you want to size it up accordingly because the video card's going to add a little bit of extra heat, obviously. Maybe an excuse finally to do a dual radiator or a dual loop setup. Yeah, a lot of people like the dual loops, mostly because you can have a little bit more flexibility in colors and the way the things are looped around. And Sure, it's, uh, it's fancy. Uh, Case-wise, you know, sky's the limit. Do whatever you want. Definitely a 1,200-watt gold power supply. You want to match that with it. Lately, the 1080 ties are coming down in price because of availability. Maybe it's because there's something new on the horizon or, you know, Ethereum, the bottom fell out. Who knows? Who knows? But you can buy them now, so definitely a 1080 tie until something new comes out. Maybe two. Maybe two. The nice thing about the X399 motherboards is that they have, depending on which one you see, they have multiple NVMe M.2 drive spots because we got 64 threads that, or 64 PCI Express lanes to deal with. Some of them have three drive 
locations. And with a hardware switch, you can RAID those. Nice. So definitely M.2, MVME, 1, 2, 3, however many you want to go. And then uh, the gaming boards come with a great onboard audio option. So you could do with the onboard audio or, you know, we like the, uh, what is it, the one that's in your machine, the, the Sound Blaster? Mm-hmm. Uh, the AE5. AE5. Or you can go external. But I like the AE5. I, I still think that it's the pinnacle of the onboard or internal Either way, really. Overall, that's basically the build. You know, storage, you're going to want to size your storage, but you want to have MVMV as your primary storage. And the thing, the two key aspects are basically the power supply. You want 1,200 watts at least and a DIY water cooling loop. If you go with an AIO, you're going to be limiting yourself by how much water you can move. Even if you have a triple fan radiator, it's not going to be able to dissipate enough heat or enough, yeah, move enough heat to keep the CPU cool. So I've noticed a gap in your build, and it's a good question that's on my mind. The X399 and the Threadripper 2, what about RAM? Are we dual-channel, quad? What are those? What is that running? Threadripper, I believe, is a quad-channel memory system. Okay. RAM-wise, you want to have, well, let's see, what was it? I'm not sure about Threadripper 2, if they've increased the memory controller quality, but with Ryzen, it was around, um, anything less than 3,000 megahertz is what you wanted to target. I'm going to say that that's probably a sweet spot. Anything faster than that, you're going to be spending a lot extra on memory. Anything less than that, and you're going to be hindering yourself in um, free speed, so to speak. So 3,000 megahertz unless Threadripper 2 uh, supports anything faster. Like, you know, I doubt that they're going to go 4133. That's kind of like the, the high-end Intel super quality silicon realm, but you never know. Well, definitely, we've had that conversation, especially with our friends at Micron, about the sweet spot for memory being at that 266 to 3K zone. So that's not a surprise to me. Although I think the quad core was something that I was definitely curious about, but a good build overall. So is this a reality? Is this something we should be looking forward to in the future? You know, I'm looking toward building one of those myself. It's not going to be my daily driver, but I'll definitely have it on the test bench. It'll be going through the overclocking paces I doubt I'm going to be able to hook it up to my phase. If I can get the right container, I can do it under liquid nitrogen, no problem. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Well, folks, it's been a while since we've had an AMD processor on the bench, and even longer since we've had one that we felt was worth the effort to overclock. So check back with us and see if we can't get a Threadripper 2 built and on the bench sometime soon. More to come. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2018. Thanks for listening.